Welcome to GRE Snacks, a snackable episodes about the GRE exam and graduate school admissions. I'm Tyler, founder of Achievable, and we have an affordable GRE course that uses memory-based adaptive learning technology to get you better results in less time. You can try it out for free at achievable.me, and if you like it, the code podcast will get you 10% off at checkout. Also, if you have a question or topic you'd like us to discuss in a future episode, please contact me at tyler at achievable.me with the subject line podcast topic. Now, let's get started. Today, I've got Stephen Friedfeld from Accept You on the line. And I mean, other than those nice diplomas I see in the background of our uh, little virtual meeting here, I uh, would love to just hear, learn a little bit more about you and kind of your background in graduate school admissions. Sure. Thanks so much for having me, Tyler. Um, my background, my professional background has entirely been in admissions. Um, after receiving a PhD, I immediately went to work at Cornell University. I was an assistant dean of academic advising and admissions at the undergraduate level, and I was there for four years. I then moved down to Princeton University, where I was the associate dean of graduate affairs and graduate admissions um, in the School of Engineering and Applied Science. And so Mm -hmm. I was at Princeton for six years in all things graduate, graduate admissions, graduate affairs, and... um, and learned a lot. And that, that will obviously inform our conversation today when it comes to graduate school, graduate admissions. And, um, and then in 2010, I uh, left my post at Princeton University and co-founded Accept You. We are mm-hmm. an entirely virtual admissions consulting firm. We've always been virtual, um, even, for, even since we were founded. And we work with uh, high school students applying to college, and we work with college students applying to graduate school. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we, we work with uh, literally hundreds, if not thousands of students each year on their graduate applications and graduate admissions. And all of Accept You's counselors are former undergraduate or graduate admissions officers. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and I think that also that breadth of experience gives you a really good, uh, it makes you a really good person to talk to you about today's topic, right? Which is, what's the difference between professional and academic graduate school, right? And yeah, I think the first, you know, brass tacks, what's different about it, but then what's different about the admissions process too? I think it's going to be really interesting. <clears throat> sure. Yeah. So when I was at Princeton, admittedly, I was in what we would call academic graduate admissions, meaning students were applying for master's degrees, um, and they were applying for PhDs. And admissions at the academic graduate level is, is really based on research. It's a, a master's degree where it's coursework coupled with research, typically about two years in total, but it could take a little bit longer because research can be unpredictable. The PhD program admittedly is more unpredictable, but it typically will be between four and six years in STEM programs. I would say five to seven years is typical for academic uh, non-STEM programs. And um, one primary difference with academic versus professional graduate degrees is who is reading the applications. Uh, Mm -hmm. Before I even jump into that, though, I think it's important to talk about what do we mean by professional graduate degrees? So those are, yeah, those are typically the degrees that are coursework only. And mm-hmm. there is, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, the people who graduate from a master's or some doctoral level professional degree typically enter the workforce immediately. Um, an MBA, as you know, is two years. A JD, mm-hmm. 
is three years. Um, an, a master of architecture, that one actually can vary, but typically two or three years. Um, there's something called MPA, Master of Public Affairs. Typically, it's two years. Um, other examples, a, a, a medical doctor is four years, a veterinary doctor is four years. So the point is, when you start graduate school in a, a professional graduate field, you know the, the duration, you know your graduation date. It's primarily coursework only. The students might have to do a little bit of a research project, um, but it's not a research-driven graduate field. Mm -hmm. um, one, one primary difference is that graduate programs that are professional are almost always paid for by the student, whether right. it's the student, the student's parents, loans, some combination thereof. But the academic graduate programs are typically funded by the, the university. Because the student is doing research, that research becomes proprietary to the university. So it's it's an interesting uh, mix of, you know, you're almost an employee of the university because you're, right. you're a researcher for the university. Or if you're not doing research that semester, you might be uh, a teaching assistant, again, an employee of sorts of the university. And um, it's not always the case, but very commonly, those uh, research master's programs and research uh, and, and doctoral programs, they're almost always funded by the university or by the department or, or some combination. So, um, you know, it might take longer. It might be an unpredictable start date. Uh, but the students who go into these research academic graduate programs typically don't leave with any debt. They don't have any costs. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I think that is one of the key distinctions about the experience, right, that's important is that when you're doing an academic graduate school program, you are kind of an employee, right? At the bare yeah, minimum, yeah. The, the professor thinks of you as an employee, <laughs> right? That's to an true. Extent. That's true. Yeah. 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 I mean, when someone, you know, I, I go around the country, as do many of my colleagues, talking to university students. Um, uh, who might want to consider working with Accept You as one-on-one -on -one clients. And I always ask my audience uh, who's interested in a master's degree and who's interested in a doctoral degree. And I would say 90% of them, not surprisingly, are interested in getting an MA or an MS, a Master of Arts or Master of Science. They don't necessarily know what the next path is like after they finish their master's, but only about 10% at most typically indicate they want a PhD. Um, but, uh, you know, when they, when the students get a master's degree, if it's an academic master's degree, it's usually in an academic field. So a master of science in chemistry or a master of, um, arts in art history or something along those lines. The one thing I will say though, is that the academic graduate programs, these don't often exist at the master's level. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted a master's degree in chemistry or a master's degree in art history, to use my two examples, um, you're not easily going to find those. Or a master's degree in classics. You will find them, but you're not easily going to find them. Most of the, let's call them top 25 or top 50 producing graduate programs, they usually are only offering a PhD in admissions. So a student can apply for the PhD and... Uh, you know, if the student says, no, I want my terminal degree to be a master's degree, they might have to look uh, at, at, at a different university. It's, mm -hmm. They'll be hard pressed to find a master's only as the terminal degree in an academic subject. Um, there's an exception, though. If a student enters a PhD program 
and that is obviously an academic pursuit. And about two years in, if the student doesn't like the program or wants to leave or and has completed all of her coursework, typically the student can leave that PhD program with a master's degree, but she could not, as a senior in college, apply directly for that master's degree from that university. That's not always the case, but almost always. So it's, you know, we have all these conversations with students. What is your terminal degree? What is your highest degree expected? What do you want in life? <laughs> What's your path? Why do you even need or want a graduate degree? Right. And um, well, how much yeah. time do you want to spend in school too? Exactly. Oh yeah. That's actually, I mean, when students tell us that they want a master's degree, it's almost always, yeah, I can do one or two more years, but I don't want four to six more years. Um, it is quite a haul. It really is the long term. Um, and, but people who get the doctoral degree um, usually are considering <clears throat> it's either research, teaching at a university level, or consulting are the three most common um, paths after they finish their PhD. Not always, mm -hmm. but those are the three most common. Now, as far as the, the professional master's degrees, I think the students do like the idea of knowing their end date. They do mm -hmm. like the idea of coursework only and no research. So there's there's a lot of advantages, of course, to those types of degrees. The other advantage is that those degrees are very career focused. So students who get into a professional graduate degree um, typically have a lot of um, networking events or or um, career counseling events and and uh, at, at at their university, where a lot of um, prospective employers will come seeking them out. Uh, you don't see that at you know if you're in the master's degree in chemistry or PhD degree in chemistry, you're not getting sought after by by a chemical, uh, you know, or pharmaceutical company. company. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, I think also um, the distinction in sort of the coursework types is is interesting, right? You're going to be doing less research and and just mostly focused on classwork if you're in a yeah. professional degree. Um, and then obviously the admissions process is actually pretty different for these two things, right? And yes. I, I mean, the first and biggest difference, which I, I'd love to hear you kind of uh, sure. explain a bit more, um, is who reads your application? Yeah, that is the biggest difference. So in a professional graduate program, MBA, um, <clears throat> MBA Master adjacent. Yeah. MBA adjacent. Master of Education is another big graduate field. Um, you know, it's usually the school of X. So school of education, school of business, school of, uh, I don't know, public affairs and so forth. It's usually an admissions professional. So someone who has oftentimes, not always, a master's in education. It's someone mm -hmm. who has been there uh, uh perhaps for uh, you know several years, even going on decades. Um, it's someone who communicates and liaises quite often with the faculty, but, and it's someone who goes around to college fairs, or rather graduate fairs, um, recruitment events, marketing events, and so forth. It's a professional graduate admission. It's an uh, admission. A person who does admissions all the time, yeah. All the time, yeah, yeah. And so, and that is very different from the academic graduate programs. That is almost always professors. Um, mm -hmm. There could be some, <clears throat> some variations. So when someone applies for a master's or PhD in a department, it's usually a departmental graduate administrator who takes the first stab. That person might actually 
be tasked with reading through all of the applications and really sorting them into yes, no, and maybe piles, that person might actually only be reading them very <clears throat> quickly um, just to see what field or division or subfield is of interest to each applicant. What I mean is, let's say computer science, people say, oh, I applied to the Department of Computer Science. That's not really how it works in the Department of Computer Science. They'll actually have someone who breaks it off into, you're applying to the computer science theory, you wanna study computer science vision, you wanna study computer music, this other person might wanna study um, networking and communications, and there's probably four other fields that I've missed. So, so at the academic level, that first person typically called the graduate program administrator, you know, GPA, something like that, that person really is the gatekeeper and then mm -hmm. says to the professors who study computer science theory, these are the 50 or 100 students who want to study CS theory. Or she might have actually vetted them and said, of the 50 who wanted to study CS theory, these are the 25 best, now go have at it. So it's it's really the professors who are reading through the applications, making decisions, having subcommittees. I mean, they're really trying to create a first year class where, you know, that I'll just stick with computer science as an example. The Department of Computer Science only can welcome so many first year graduate students next year because of funding issues. If the university is funding or the department is funding all of its students for, let's say, five years straight, they, they really are limited in the number of students whom they can bring on. Mm -hmm. um, there's probably some internal fighting where, you know, the CS theory group might want X students um, and the uh, computer science, um, you know, vision group might want X plus one students or something. So there's there have to have they have to come to some agreements and and that's where the department chairs and the department associate chairs and so forth will really oversee all of those um, all of those applications though are not just admitted on the spot. It's typical that the um, each department then takes its best applicants and whom they want to admit and then they'll go to a, a further committee, which is usually the the dean of the graduate school. Or the associate dean of the graduate school, and um, yeah, it's it's quite it's quite a process, and um, and every application is read. I've always said this, whether I was reading applications at the undergraduate level or graduate level, every application is read. Some are read more quickly than others. Sometimes, and that's something that we can discuss. You know, sometimes the they know right away that this is this is an applicant who's serious that you want to read more thoroughly, more closely, go through the letters of recommendation, look at that transcript with a fine tooth comb. And some others really probably are just not in the ballpark and they just don't need to spend a lot of time on those applications. Right. And so maybe that's a good segue into that that topic, right? Is is really kind of I think that both, you know, an MBA is maybe its own animal, but like professional <laughs> graduate school and academic graduate school have different priorities with yeah. the people that are reading your application. And so you should be adapting your application to each of them differently, right? So I'd love to learn a little bit more about, you know, getting through that first gate, right? Like the, yeah. the graduate program administrator, which ironically has the uh, GPA the GPA <laughs> as the initials, but then also even within the people reading your application more thoroughly in the second round, what are the things yeah. that are going to be a good thing for you to do, maybe a not so good thing for you to do? Sure. And how does that change between academic and professional? Yeah, well, with the academic side, I mean, the letters of recommendation count 
for so much. Mm-hmm. And because the people who are typically writing letters of recommendation <clears throat> are professors and the people mm-hmm. who are reading the letters of recommendation, as I mentioned, are professors. So these are people who are in the same field. They might actually know each other. They might have gone to grad school together. They certainly have gone to conferences together. They might've done collaborative research, inter-university research together. So, so they take very seriously the letters of recommendation um, at, the, at the graduate academic level. Um, I, would, I would think that the um, academic, or rather the letters of recommendation do matter for the professional grad schools as well. But honestly, I think that they matter less. And it's also, um, you're going to see a lot more professional graduate um, letters of recommendation. Mm-hmm. So someone who maybe works as a supervisor or in industry, that person is is perhaps coming at, at the letter of recommendation from a different perspective. Um, teamwork, collaboration, hard work, diligence. I think those are the types of, of characteristics that a graduate, uh, a professional graduate admissions officer will look for. And at the academic side, I think they're looking for brilliant, innovative, creative, um, different set of adjectives. Other factors, yeah, yeah. The resume, I I would think is also, you know, if you're applying for an academic graduate program and there's a research component, it's not required. This is actually a myth. People think that you have to have research um, as part of your background. They think you have to have a published paper. That is not true. These days, admittedly, if you're applying to a top 20 or so, you know, uh, PhD or master's program, it's, it is fairly expected. That is true that it's expected to have done some research, whether it's in your own university or another university for an entire summer or two during the school year for class credit. We do want to see some research. Do you have to have a published paper? Absolutely not. But a lot of students think that they do. And a lot of students should aim for that. Of course, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but, you know, are you the first author on a published paper or are you the seventh author out of seven? Um, so those, those types of, of that, that ordering does matter um, mm-hmm. to, to the admissions um, professionals, whether it's a professor who's reading the paper or whether it's a, um, you know, whether it's a, a professional graduate school admissions officer. Um, do you need any kind of research for a professional graduate degree? No. Because there's no research component in that that two-year program, three-year program. Do you need to have a published paper? Again, no. Um, So it's one of those things where you say, well, know your audience. You know, know what you're getting it, know what you're applying to as well, and know your strength. Yeah. I would also say, on the professional side, they probably care a lot more about your actual work experience, whereas maybe on the academic side, I mean, we we just did a deep dive blog post on... Um, the ETS's GRE report, right? And the thing that struck me was that over 75% of people taking the GRE take it with less than a year of work experience. They're, these uh, are people yeah. that are primarily going straight from undergrad to right. graduate school, right? So therefore, yep. that's obviously, if that's more common, then your work experience is not that big of a deal when it comes to applying to some of these academic programs. I, I don't know about all of them. And then I, on the professional I side, it is. That's true. You're 100% correct that with academic programs, I tell students all the time, you actually don't need any work experience. Mm-hmm. 
Any, uh, it could, I mean, you don't, you certainly don't need a gap year where that gap year is filled with a full-time um, work experience. And you don't even need to have work experience as an intern during your summers in college. But uh, I like to see a mix of <clears throat> industry experience as an intern during the summer years and summer months, as well as uh, research, but primarily research. If you're going for an right. academic graduate program on the flip side, as you suggested, if you're going for a professional graduate program, um, it does depend I, on the field itself. If it's a veterinary school or dental school or medical school, that's very common to jump straight from undergrad to, um, to those three programs. If yeah. it's business, as you know, if it's business, uh, and this does fluctuate actually from year to year, decade to decade. Typically we say two, three, four, five full-time, five years of full-time experience. Um, I think two or three is is absolutely fine. If you have a lower GPA, you want to distance yourself from that GPA. And to distance yourself, you want to have more years of work experience. If you have a very Why high- Why is it always business people that get that advice? <laughs> <laughs> I would give that advice to anyone yeah. <laughs> applying to, to, to graduate programs. Um, I mean, there's other factors that come into play. My favorite example is we we had a student who was an accounting major once as an undergraduate, and she came to us and said, I want to get an MFA, a Master in Fine Arts in Fashion Design. Um, okay, that's not possible unless or until you have some experience in fashion design. So we mm -hmm. actually advised her to go work in a fashion company and create a portfolio. And she did. And then a year, maybe two, I can't recall, a year or two later, she ended up having a portfolio and some experience that was relevant and got into master's in fine arts and fashion design. I, you know, We asked why on earth were you an accounting major as an undergraduate if you wanted to study design? And she said her parents forced her to study accounting. I mean, that's unfortunately, that was her situation, but at least she... Um, she she knew what she wanted and and she was uh, willing to do the work for one or two years, create a portfolio, get some real job experience, and then she was relevant. Mm -hmm. um, as far as you know, other graduate programs, MPAs, I would say Master of Public Affairs. That's the other one where it's oftentimes you'll see not required to have any um, any work experience between undergrad and grad, but preferred. You'll see that oftentimes in, in master's programs in education, not required, but is preferred. So it's one of those things. If you have no work experience, um, you're going to be facing uh, an applicant pool where many do have your competitors will have had work experience. One thing, though, is you can compensate for that by having incredible summer internships and activities that right. say, well, I, I didn't work for a year or two full time like a lot of my competitors, but I have some great experience during the school year and or during the summer. I've seen that a lot. Right. Yeah. And at the end of the day, what are you trying to do, right? The the the, the key phrase I hear a lot is demonstrate interest. You're trying to show <laughs> these people, like if, if you had an accounting degree and you, yeah. you know, said, I, I've really been passionate about fashion design and want to do it, they'd be like, okay, but show me, right? Like right. You know, talk is cheap. Uh, totally. Action is not. So I think that, you know, the more things that you can do to demonstrate interest in what you're applying for, including internships, the better. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, when I, I did go back um, to graduate school. <laughs> so I, I 
started off the conversation by saying I, I finished a PhD and then immediately became an assistant dean of admissions at Cornell. But then nine years later, don't ask why, but I ended up going back to graduate school for a master of arts, an MA in higher education. Mm-hmm. And I did a one year graduate, it was a one year professional coursework only graduate degree that took me four years because I was part-time and commuting. Um, but that actually, it, it was a really eye-opening experience, I will say that. But I will admit that those of us who had worked in higher education were very different in the class discussions compared to those who were in our cohort but had gone straight from undergrad to to our graduate program. It was, it ad- admittedly, was very interesting how those with two, three, four, in my case, nine years of work experience were very different graduate students. So I, I then understood why they like to see students with some some professional experience. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. Well, yeah. any uh, any kind of closing thoughts on this topic then? I feel like we've, uh, we've covered a <laughs> lot of good things here. Anything you want to say before we wrap up? Sure, yeah. I think it's really important for students to do research and to know who they are and what they want and what they want to get out of a graduate degree. Mm-hmm. Um, if your ultimate goal is is a high-paying job, then perhaps you really need that professional degree to launch your career. And, um, and, and having some work experience is actually helpful for the graduate professional um, admissions committee because they, they think that when you finish their professional two or three year degree, they feel confident that you'll then land a job. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's part of the reason, not just the you know, maturity and helping uh, you know, move the class discussions along, but, but they feel that you are a marketable candidate when you finish their graduate degree. Um, if you're in the academic side, um, as we said, I think getting really um, uh, involved in research is going to be key. Getting to know your professors, because I, I mentioned the letters of recommendation are really important for them. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's the key for that side. But investigate, do your research, talk to students at both institution, both types of institutions and both types of graduate programs. Um, and talk to students at your own institution, those who are in the graduate professional space versus those TAs, teaching assistants who are in the academic space and see what their experiences are like as well. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much, Stephen. This has been Jiri Snacks, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Stephen Friedfeld from Accept You. And Achievable has a great online Jiri course that you can try for free by going to achievable.me. And if you like it, be sure to use the code podcast to save 10%.